Hello and welcome to Your Little Sisters Productions Presents Missed Opportunities, the podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, and general life in the world of entertainment. I am Laura. Hi, I'm Jonathan. Jonathan is my husband, Taya, who is our usual co-host, is still out on personal leave, so I was able to convince my husband to do a second podcast with me as a co-host. Thank you so much for being here, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excited about this uh, movie we just watched recently. Yes, we went to the movies last night, and we had a few options, and the movie that we chose to watch and consequently do for the podcast was Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Now, I have a very... Well, we both played at least once together. Do you remember that? And we were very first married or engaged. Yeah, we played it. Uh, we never like sat through an entire campaign. Campaign, yeah, that's what they call it. But uh, we did meet up with friends and try it out. And yeah, it takes a lot of creativeness. <laughs> so I never hugely got into Dungeons and Dragons. I do know about it because I have friends who do, but I did play a different tabletop role-playing game called The Call of Cthulhu or The Rise of Cthulhu. I think it's The Call of Cthulhu. And so I'm familiar with things that go on in tabletop RPGs and stuff like that. And I do know about Dungeons and Dragons just from being a nerd and in the nerd community. But before we get into the Dungeons and Dragons recap and review and our thoughts on it i do want to give a plug for our social medias you can find your little sisters productions on instagram facebook youtube and twitter on twitter we are yls underscore productions we also have a patreon under taya joy flake go ahead and search her up on patreon if you see the logo that has the blue background and the tree that is us there is a place for the, our youtube channel and a place specifically for our podcast both help us be able to maintain and get better content and hopefully I'm able to continue doing what we love and also just so you know this podcast will have spoilers so if you have not yet seen Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves and you want to not be spoiled this is your warning to come back and watch it after you've seen the movie see if you agree with our thoughts go ahead and message us or comment with any comments questions that you have disagreements or agreements or anything that you want us to take a look at reviewing we're always happy to take recommendations from people if you become our patron on patreon you have first priority as a response or for taking those recommendations so i found the plot summary here on wikipedia and it's quite long so i'm going to try and go through and just hit the main parts of it so again, spoiler alert, just in case you don't want to be spoiled, now is the time to turn it off and come back after you've seen the movie. We start off with Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez's characters, Edgen and Holga. Edgen used to be a member of the Harpers, which was a secret order of peacekeepers. His wife, unfortunately, gets killed by a red wizard. He had previously helped in taking into prison. Red wizards are very much dark and evil magic practitioners in this world. Um, Holga, who is played by Michelle Rodriguez, is in the same little band of thieves that Edgen is in. Very much a best friend. Oh, I need to go back. He becomes a thief <laughs> after his wife was killed to try and keep up with taking care of his very young daughter and give them a way of life. He meets Holga, who takes pity on them and steps in to become a mother figure to his daughter, and they become like brother and sister, is what they say in the movie. <coughs> she was part of a tribe and was exiled because she fell in love with someone that they did not approve of. And so she also kind of has a bit of a chip on her shoulder with life. They also recruit into their little band of thieves, Simon, who is a sorcerer, Forge, who, did they explain what his special set of skills was in regard to being in the band of thieves? Uh, I mean, he's kind of, he plays that role of uh, a trickster, kind of like cunning person that just kind of, wow, what's the word? I can't think of it right now, but you know, the people who... A con man? Yeah, con man. Yep, smooth talkers, right? And so, he, very, very good at what he does. 
So Forge, and then they also have, wait, was that everybody? Forge, Simon, Holga, and Edgin. That's, yeah. That's everybody. They hear about a place where there's a lot of treasure, but it's in a place that they don't particularly want to go because it's so well guarded. And I think it was even part of the Harper's uh, things that they had taken from people that they helped in prison. And Edgen has a bad taste in his mouth from the Harpers because it's because he was part of the Harpers that he captured this red wizard who escaped and subsequently murdered his wife, who thankfully was able to hide their daughter, Kira, but his wife did get killed and it's very sad. So they don't want to do it, even though this uh, female wizard comes and tells them about it. She's trying to hire them for it. Until they find out that there's a tablet of We Awakening, which can bring back to life one person who's died. One time use only. And Edgin, of course, immediately thinks of his wife, even though at this point she's been gone for many years because we've watched Kira go from being an infant up to a young teenager. I'd say maybe 13 or 14. Between 12 and 14 years old is what I'm getting from her. She seems very young in the movie. They unfortunately get caught. Not all of them. Simon is able to escape. Forge and the female wizard are able to escape. But Edgen and Holga are caught and do spend a couple years in prison. However, they do escape after just a couple years and find out that Forge has been taking care of Edgen's daughter and has become the Lord of Neverwinter. Um, he, let's see, I'm leading through the plot summary here so I can make it a little bit shorter. So they go to Forge expecting that he's going to hand Kira back over to Edgen and Holga and that they're all going to be one big happy family again. However, they discover that Forge, while taking care of Kira, has convinced her that Edgen's greed and selfishness led to his arrest and telling her that he wanted the Tablet of Great Riches, not the Tablet of Reawakening. He calls it the Tablet of Great Riches, that she basically was abandoned because her dad wanted more money than what they had already made from thievery. Safina is revealed to be a red wizard, which we've already established are not good guys. Safina attempts to have Edgen and Holga killed, but they escape. And they decide to rob Forge's vault and get Kara back during a tournament called the High Sun Games at the stadium. It was previously banned because too many people died, but he has brought it back. So then they have to find Simon to help get the band back together. Along the way, they also say they need a druid who is someone who can shapeshift into different animals. Simon happens to know one. They find her and recruit her. And they go on lots of adventures. They also find a paladin. Um, Zink Yandar. I'm so sorry if I butchered that name. But Zink Yandar is a paladin. And he is very, he was one of my favorite characters. He was so funny because he was really good at being good with animals and people in terms of being nice and kind, but he also talked really awkwardly. Like he didn't understand metaphors and he didn't, he was just very straightforward and honest, but also kind of awkward in the way he talked. Um, I loved how watching him on screen with Edgen because he had really great chemistry, really great comedic timing. He helps guide them to somewhere to get a helmet that they need. This helmet is going to help them break the magical spell, keeping them out of the vault so they can get into the vault, get the stuff they want and need, including the Tablet of Reawakening. That's really what they're after still. And then get Kira, the daughter, out. However, they discover that the treasure is not in the vault. The treasure is being loaded onto a boat and Forge is planning to escape with Kira with all the treasure, while Safina, the Red Wizard, stays in the city and essentially kills everybody and forces them to become her zombie slaves. That is something that had been done previously by a Red Wizard in a different city, and she wants to do that to this specific city. So they were using the High Sun Games to get everyone, as many people in the city as possible, into one area so that they can do the spell and everyone's there and being affected by it. They manage to stop her from being from turning everybody into a zombie. I mean, they don't say the word zombie, but it basically is a zombie. It's an undead slave to whoever created them. 
She is very mad. They have a really big epic battle at the end. She is defeated. It's really cool. See, I like the bad end part of it. It's really nice and fun. Forge gets captured by the paladin who had not joined them on the last leg after he helped them get the helmet. He had gone away, but he does come back and help capture Forge at the very end and send him to prison. Edgid is reunited with Kira, who now knows the truth. And Holga, unfortunately, died in battle, but they had the Tablet of Reawakening and they decide unanimously to use it on Holga, not on Kira's mom, who... They do make a comment in the movie, the paladin does, about there being different planes of living and that it would be cruel to bring Kira's mom, who I'm, his Chris Pine's character's wife, I'm trying to remember her name, they say it and I'm forgetting it, back from wherever she is because is, she's been there for a long time. They probably do say it in here. And then they have a mid credit scene, which is funny, based on something that happens in the movie. So if you are planning to go see it. Even with all the spoilers I just gave, you're welcome to stay for the mid credit scene. So I had heard a couple things about this movie that made me very wary of watching it. I wasn't sure I would like it, even though I like a lot of the actors in the movie. I really like Chris Pine. Um, I like Michelle Rodriguez. I thought she really did an excellent job. She made me laugh several times throughout the movie. I like Justice Smith. I liked, and I love Hugh Grant. I've been a fan of his movies for years and years and years. I thought everyone did a really good job as far as acting. There wasn't anyone that I really thought did a bad job with acting. Not that that was one of the concerns. I was sad when I thought I would be weary of watching this movie because of some things I'd heard because I like all the actors in it. One of the things that I had heard that did make me a little bit wary was that someone in, and I probably really should have Googled it to make sure, but I had heard through the grapevine of movie review things that someone who had been involved with the movie along the way had done an interview or made comments in some capacity saying that one of their favorite parts of making the movie was emasculating the men who were involved. And I was just very much not excited to see that. I wanted to just go and watch a movie that was fun and characters who were like real people. You have flaws, you have good things, you but you learn and grow. That's one of the great things about watching a movie is watching the characters learn and grow throughout. But I was pleasantly surprised, even though I could see how someone could take it as emasculating, I never once felt as though they were bringing men down in any way. What did you think, Jonathan, as a man yourself? Yeah, no, I we had this conversation on our way back from the movie theaters and I didn't see any of that either. I thought the movie did a really good job at unraveling each person's past and help and watching them, you know, uh, grow slowly and help one another um, overcome, you know, those uh, weaknesses and stumbling blocks they each had. And uh, it was it was nice. It was rewarding to see at the very end that uh, they each, you know, got. If not just, you know, some, you know, token of of, of reward for, for all their efforts. I, I thought that was really nice. Yeah, they definitely all grow. And it's a really good ending. I really like the ending. It was fitting. I could see them doing a sequel. I kind of hope they don't just because it's rare Unless it's planned already, like all the scripts are written down. And they're like, we're going to do three or four movies here, all the scripts, so it stays consistent throughout. Unless that happens, and even sometimes with that happening, it's rare for sequels to be as good as the first movie. And I really want to just enjoy this movie and not think or have to forget about a sequel that may not be as good or ruin some aspect for me while watching the first one, because I really thought... This was a fun movie. One thing that I really liked in the movie was the humor. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there were some characters that stood out when it comes to humor. Um, the guy who's played Simon, right? I, I In the movie theaters, I when I first saw him, I knew who that guy was. Like, it's the guy from Jurassic Park, you know, uh, the newer uh, movies for Jurassic Park. And his character is just... You know he's always like down on down on himself, very low self esteem, and 
it's so infectuating, like infectious too, with the people around him. They all just feel really down, and um, but it's it's just the comments he makes, you know, it's just so what you're just so out of the, you know, out of there. Like, why would you say that? You know, you, you want to, you know, get to point B, like what you need to be motivating. You need to be, you know, have some hope, but this, you know, he felt kind of hopeless from the beginning. So I mentioned during the plot summary that they wanted a Druid shapeshifter to join their crew. And it was Simon, the wizard who, or sorcerer, do they call him the wizard? A sorcerer. Half-elf wild magic sorcerer. There we go. And he knew a druid. Well, how he knew her was he had courted her. And it had not gone very well because, quote, he made her sad. Not anything he did, just who he was. <laughs> because he had really low self-esteem and not a lot of confidence and it made her sad. And so that's his character arc throughout the movie is him going from someone who has very little to no confidence to gaining more confidence in his abilities and in who he is as a person and at the end he gets another shot at courting the druid whose name is doric and i want to just keep calling her the druid but anyway i chris pine i always forget how funny he can be i don't know why i always forget i watched i watch his movies and I've always enjoyed him in the movies but he especially when he gets with the paladin who is Zanki Yandar the one who's kind of awkward to talk with they especially had really fun comedic timing together I really also liked him with Michelle Rodriguez's Holga she made me laugh a lot I was surprised at how funny that her character is because she's the warrior character She's the one who's uh, grew up in a tribe learning how to fight and likes weapons and eating potatoes. That was a really big part of her character was eating potatoes. <laughs> she had a love affair with potatoes and she made me laugh just as much, if not, yeah, at least just as much as every other character. I wouldn't say more. I'd say they gave everyone equal opportunity comedy timing, but oh my goodness, Holga made me laugh so much when I wasn't expecting it, especially. And I really liked her performance, especially at the end when she's dying. And then when she's resurrected, I thought her acting was really good. And even though I knew she was going to be brought back by the tablet of reawakening, I still cried. What did you think? Yeah, I know that scene. Uh, I kind of had a little foreshadow that it that tablet had to, it was going to be used not for his wife. Uh, I think the movie was really strongly suggesting that. And uh, when it came down to Holga being the one that was going to be used on, you know, I, I shed a tear or two. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie about that. It was it was very tear joke jerking moment. And uh, you know, one of my favorite Holga moments was when he she goes to make amends with her her uh, ex-husband ex right and you find out that the ex-husband is like half her size and it's just so funny to just see their interaction together cuz it kind of reminded me of you and me a little bit you know cuz <laughs> you're like half my size <laughs> i am just about half the size of my husband that is true he is very tall and i'm very short that is accurate and I just thought it was so funny to see, kind of see that the opposite kind of play play in there, and and uh, and uh, how you know, like you said, she's a warrior, right? And so that scene where they're in in his house, she's becomes this shy girl all of a sudden, and you know, and she's just, um, yeah, it was just a different side of her. I thought that was pretty interesting and, and a little a little funny the the conversation they had and meeting his new wife. You know, that was a little awkward. Could have definitely gone a little dicey there, but, you know, things were uh, kept cool. And, yeah, no, it was, it was good. I liked it. I also really liked the actress who played Safina, who turns out to be the Red Wizard. When they first meet her, they think she's just a sorcerer. And I'm trying to find Daisy Head is Safina. Oh, and Chloe Coleman played Kira, the daughter, and she didn't have as much screen time as everybody else, but she did really well in the scenes that she did have. I really enjoyed her performance. I hope, I don't know if she's, she's probably done movies before this. 
Uh, but I hope she keeps acting because she seemed to enjoy it and be really good at it. Daisy Head as Safina was absolutely terrifying and I loved it. I feel as the one thing that has been missing from a lot of movies, not all, but a lot of movies recently, especially ones that are PG-13 or lower, are villains that are just evil. They start off evil, they try to do their evil plan, they get thwarted, and they end evil. They don't get turned back to good, they don't have a tragic backstory of why they're evil. They're just people who have given themselves over to the more base and underhanded desires of humanity, or in this case, wizardry, and don't want to come back to the side of good. And I like that in movies, one, because it's something that we've been missing for a while, but two, because I think it's good to see that even when there are people who de who deliberately choose to do evil, that there's good people that can and will stand up and defeat evil. And I think that's a really good message because you can't always convince people to stop doing what they're doing if it's bad. Yeah, she was uh, definitely a pretty creepy character, you know. I, I I think one of the things I most remember about her is her eyes, you know, when she kind of like has this blank stare and she just has her eyes wide open. It's just such a creepy feeling. But yeah, she was she was spot on in her acting, I think, and... I would also say that the fight at the near the end of the movie where she's going one on one with the sorcerer uh, Simon uh I thought that was pretty cool right the way she was summoned a, a hand like this like devilish hand and 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 Simon got this hand of and of rocks and gravel that was a cool scene too I mean they were just both going at it I know I know you mentioned a little bit just a moment ago how you liked that scene too or the fight scene. Yeah, the ending once Safina is fighting them after she's unable to turn the whole city into her little zombie slaves, the everything. I I really liked it. There were but there are a couple plot holes and things that didn't make sense in this movie that I found. And Jonathan, you agree with me? wholeheartedly on one of them and the other one you were trying to convince me of the other side too and I just I'm still not convinced so the one that we both agree on Forge becomes the lord of Neverwinter and they mention that the previous lord is not dead but he is in a comatose illness of some kind and I know that her whole plan is to turn the whole city of people into her zombie slaves so at first I thought oh she's keeping him alive because she wants him to be like one of her, she wants as many people there to turn into her little zombie slaves as possible. But she has absolutely no problem throughout the movie having other people who would be in the city at the arena during the event. She has no problem having them killed. Like she's constantly killing off people that could be turned into her zombie slaves, but she just doesn't care. So why not kill the Lord of Neverwinter so that Forge's place is secure? Now, at the end, the when the Lord of Neverwinter, who was not Forge, the one who was comatose, when he wakes up, he rewards the heroes, the Edgin and Holga and Simon and uh, Doric. I was about to say dru Druic, like Druid and Doric and what? <laughs> Doric, the Druid. There we go. He rewards all of them with amnesty and a bunch of other stuff. And I understand that they wanted that, possibly, but it just makes no sense for someone who's already willing to kill people for much less than his existence people who would be in the city to not just kill him and really secure forge's place as lord especially because you know that the whole plan is that he's going to leave the city and you're going to stay and have all these little zombie slaves go off and do your bidding why not kill him do you have anything to add to that no i think you said it pretty well um I don't. I, I think there was no reason to really keep him alive, other other than if you wanted that ending. But I, yeah, no. I, I it's like I, you, I agreed with you. Right. Yeah, they did get. It's so that they could get pardoned because they were on the run from escaping prison. And then you were trying to convince me <laughs> on the other side, and I still don't. I see it, but I don't think it's realistic. And I know it's Dungeons and Dragons, and there's things, of course, that aren't realistic. It's fantasy. It's high fantasy. 
there's dragons and a bunch of other creatures and callbacks to the game. But they're in there. Everyone in the city has gathered in the arena to watch the High Sun Games, which is kind of like a combination of Gladiator and the Harry Potter maze from the Goblet of Fire. Because they set up a maze. It's these stone walls that come up. And in the maze are creatures, deadly creatures. But there's also chests that you open up. And some of the chests have deadly creatures and other chests have weapons. And the goal is to get to the center of the maze where there's a cage with spikes on the outside. So you get in the, ma in the cage in the middle of the maze and the creatures can't get to you because of the spikes on the outside. That's the goal. Well, of course. And oh, and things move. The walls will move, come down and come up. They have a little timer and a gong will ring and things will shift around. So, of course, people are getting eaten and maimed by these creatures, including one that can project an image of itself elsewhere. So you're distracted. It'll come up behind you or to the side of you. They also have a gelatinous cube, <laughs> which I thought was a really fun thing to add in. And they actually use it. They don't just have it as like a little cameo. They actually make it part of the plot point for them to get out of the maze alive. So everyone's in the arena watching the High Sun Games. That's the game is you're in a maze with a bunch of creatures and you're trying to make it out alive or to the middle alive. And Safina needs everyone in the arena because she needs everyone in one common space to be able to perform the spell that will turn them into her undead slaves. And she has no barrier, no guards around the arena, no sort of magical barrier, nothing keeping people from leaving. All that happens is Forge tells them at the start of the games when he's announcing, you know, this is the beginning of the games. If you stay till the end, he said, everybody stay in the arena because at the end, I'm going to give you a gift. But then Safina rises up in the air and she's surrounded by all this red smoke and People are dying. They, we see people who, the elites, who are up in this tower gambling on the games, they die. And then we see a, very clearly a red wizard up in the air with red smoke billowing out. And everyone in the arena is just staring. Not a single person is trying to make a run for it or get out or anything. Until our band of thieves, they managed to get all the treasure that Forge was trying to steal up into a hot air balloon and have the hot air balloon spew out or drop, excuse, drop would be better than spewing, drop all the treasure in the arena and then throughout the arena and then outside, leading people out of the arena to follow the treasure because they're like, oh, this must be Forge's gift. No one is trying to run away from the Red Wizard with this billowing red smoke that's killing people. They don't run until they see the treasure being dropped. And some of the treasure is dropped in the arena, but everybody goes outside the arena. And I just think that was a very thin plot point. I think that there should have been a magical barrier around the arena or guards stopping people from leaving or other wizards, some kind of something to keep people there. Because what was to stop people from going home early because they were bored or because they had to use the bathroom? I'm sure there were bathroom-like things in the arena, but you get my point. I just, I thought it was not a great way to just have people stay there because they're expecting something and then they see death happening and they they just stay there. No one runs. We've all seen the stampedes on Black Friday and that's definitely nothing that's life or death. <laughs> that's just a sale on TVs or whatever else. But when they see death, they just stay still. But here is Jonathan's defense of that decision. Yeah. Uh, the way I kind of looked at it was when people are confronted with a very stressful situation you know the body typically has three responses right they have a fight flight or freeze and but not everybody has the same response not Go everyone on. does and you're right but i would argue that a good chunk of them seeing that red cloud come through wouldn't suspect it to be anything dangerous because first it's a game right it's a it's supposed to be something that is once every year or something like that you know it's not it's a game that kills people 
Right, but those people are there to watch that happen. And they're expecting, you know, spectacular. And so I feel like for one person that's attending these games and for Red Smoke to appear, I don't think it'd be something that would be considered automatically dangerous, you know. And even if they did, I feel like there would still be some of them that would freeze or, or not really tempt to flee. Now, when it comes to the money being poured from the sky, I feel like that's not a very stressful situation at all. That's a very uh, gratifying thing to, to experience, you know. That's money that can really change your life. So they're going to want to go seek that out. Even if that means stampeding over other people. So I feel like the way it played out, it may not have come out as smoothly, but I really, I, I thought it was okay enough to stay in the movie. I didn't think it needed to be justified any further. I think it needed to be justified further. I see your point. I really do. I understand it completely. But knowing crowds, it really only takes one or two people to start something such as a stampede or such as people running out or starting to panic or flee or have fear. And it's kind of like mob mentality. It only takes a few people or even just one person sometimes to start mass panic or mass thinking of something and everybody is suddenly thinking it or doing it. So I think I still think at least a couple people would have started running and that would have started something. And I thought it would be horrifying, which goes along with Safina as a character because she was horrifying. And I absolutely loved watching someone, a villain on screen actually be intimidating and evil. It was it was so fun. But she was horrifying. I thought it would have gone along with the theme of there's some sort of barrier and they're trapped inside even though they're trying to get out. It would have added also a bit of ten more tension to the scene of our band of thieves trying to get them out safely and fight Safina. I think that would have added to the end scene, which I still like. I still like the final battle. I think it would have added something if they also had to get through the guards or through a magic barrier. I'm really going for the magic barrier thing because she's a red, a red wizard. And I thought it would have been really cool if some of the fight, the final fight also happened in the arena because of that. And then maybe started, go, went elsewhere, outside, which is where it did end up, was outside the, the arena in the city of Neverwinter. But I don't know. I That's something I personally would have really loved to see. Um, I thought those were two of the missed opportunities in the movie, honestly, were the fact that the Lord of Neverwinter wasn't killed and there was no explanation as to why she was okay killing a bunch of other people, but not him, especially with if everything went the way they wanted it to. And then the arena thing. Another thing is they mentioned that there was another red wizard who had taken over a different city and had all these undead people doing his bidding in another city and it he comes and talks to her in a scene. We kind of see a shadow form of him with glowing eyes. And that's when it's, I mean, we basically already know she's a red wizard by this point, but this is the reveal in case you had any doubt if she was a red wizard. And we see him talk to her and everything. And I never quite understood that relationship between the two of them. If he was the ultimate master and she was like an apprentice or under him and she was capturing the city and they would be under his control or they'd be under her control but she was under him kind of like a padawan if we're gonna go like a star wars reference if he's the master and she's the padawan i didn't think of that until now but because they again they talk about him a lot because he's the one who did it originally in this other city and we actually have a scene of him talking to her. And I guess they didn't really solidify for the audience exactly what the relationship was. Or if they did, it didn't stick in my brain. Do you remember that and at all? You know, when they uh, kind of recapped and showed him doing what she was doing to another town or place. Uh, I remember her being a part of the circle of people that that supported him in that in that ritual. But that's as the extent as that I saw between them. She was just some one of her followers that was there at the first the first time it happened, and I guess she was just trying to repeat that same ritual again 
Um, that part too, I was kind of confused. I didn't know if he, she was doing it for him or for herself. Um, but I got the feeling that she was, that ultimately it was for kind of for his glory or for his name, you know, and I don't know if he ever was going to come back. Maybe that's, they were saving the tablet for that, but they never even hinted at that either. So I don't know. I thought he was, this character was kind of weird. He was just there. It's kind of like a ghost cheerleader, you know? A ghost cheerleader. That sounds like a really fun Halloween costume that I know has already been done. Anyway, I just was thinking about Safina, and I think that was the only thing that was unclear and that I don't personally like about her character is that it is unclear if she's working for him, if she's doing it of her own accord, and he's just, like you said, cheering her on. The reason why we say he would be a ghost is because when he first took over city and got all these little undead people. It was a long time ago because they have to wait for a solstice event to grant them enough power or for the spell to work. For some reason, they have to wait for the solstice. And there was a long time in between solstices. So when he had done it, it had been a long time ago, long enough that it was in a Harper book of history or knowledge or they never explain exactly what the book is it's a harper's book you take you put your hand on it kind of like how they make you swear on the bible in court you put your hand on it and you take the harper's oath or you make some other oath on the book and it's a harper's book but in that book they have pictures and the history of what happened to that city and so it was long enough ago that it got in here in that book and but it didn't seem as though a lot of people knew about it. So I don't know what else to say other than I really enjoyed it. The owl bear, so Doric, the druid, when we first see her, she is uh, turns into an owl bear. Which when I first heard of it, I thought was going to be a little ridiculous. Could be fun, but I thought it was ridiculous. And seeing it, I actually really liked it a lot more than I thought. It did give me some laughs, but overall it was kind of... It was pretty epic, honestly. I, I liked the animals that Doric became. I thought the movie also did a really good job of having tense moments in the movie. A lot of tension. Will they come out of this? Or will they? Even though I knew it was going to end happy with the good guys winning and everything. It's one of those action movies where it's not a tragedy. The good guys are going to win and come out on top. They have the Tablet of Reawakening. All this stuff. I still felt myself getting tense of, oh my gosh, how are they going to get out of this situation? There's a scene when Doric is a fly and she's spying on Safina and all of them. And Safina notices that it's not a real fly, that it's druid and starts chasing after her. And it's a tense scene and it goes went on for a little bit longer than I thought it would. But I think that added to the tension instead of taking away because it felt like so long. You could tell how powerful Safina was and how scary she was in that moment but also and they lightened the tension quickly with a joke not long after because there's something with Holga wanting Doric to turn into a deer to get around the castle <laughs> for some reason she thought a deer would be unnoticed in the middle of a castle and at one point Doric does turn into a deer to get away from them <laughs> So right after you have this really long, tense action scene of, oh my gosh, how is Doric going to come out of this alive? Or, okay, is she going to get hurt in any way? She comes out fine, and then they have, so she did turn into a deer. Because <laughs> everyone told Olga it was a stupid idea. And so I thought the balance of tension and humor in this movie was really spot on. They never left you too tense for too long, or laughing, or trying to make you laugh when it wasn't necessary. They had a, a good balance, in my opinion, of reality, of people growing and learning and growing into themselves and who they, their potential is, of having tensions high, of having good emotional beats, as well as having comedy that truly made me laugh. I laughed a lot during this movie. I think they did a lot better job, as opposed to, say, Thor 4, Love and Thunder, which in my opinion did not have a good balance between comedy and the drama of the movie. And for any of you who are wondering if dragons are in this movie, yes, yes, they are. 
And and for those wondering how they can make a dragon not come off too OP in a movie, well, this movie found a way. <laughs> Mr. Pudgy Dragon is what I call him. And man, was he pudgy. Oh, he was so funny looking, but he was still dangerous. I mean, you were still at the edge of your seats. I was, you know, with the people trying to get away from this dragon as he rolled towards them. And uh, it was, he by far was my favorite uh, animal character. The dragon, you see him at one point. Uh, he was on the battlefield. They have flashbacks to this battlefield of this very fearsome dragon flying through the air, spitting fire. They made it feel very, very, very realistic for, you know, it being a dragon on the on the battlefield of medieval times sort of a thing. They really made you feel like you were there. I could imagine being absolutely terrified of a fire-breathing dragon coming down, being afraid that I would be caught in the fire. And then you fast forward, and it's been a long time, and it's the same dragon, but he has put on some weight. He's become a pudgy dragon. And one of my favorite parts that really stuck in my brain was they see him, and Holga goes, that is one pudgy dragon. And the paladin goes, Oh, this is whatever the dragon's name is. He must have found a new den. And Edgin says, did he eat the old one? <laughs> I don't know why. Of all the jokes that landed, that one was one of my favorite ones. <laughs> Partially because I'm really, I love it when people become sarcastic or have that type of humor in the face of danger. That's one of my favorite tropes of action movies is when they are very much clearly in danger. They're about to die, but they have time to make some sort of smart remark before, you know, running for their lives or fighting for their lives, whatever it is. So I think the fact that it's one of my favorite tropes combined with how they were able to play it off and still make the dragon dangerous, but definitely show that he has to move differently because of all that has occurred. The fact that he's now pudgy, whereas before he was not. And so that was a really fun scene as well. I actually really want to watch this movie again. There are other movies in the theaters that I want to see. And yet even with those other movies in the theaters, I really would like to see Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves in theaters again. And I really also like that this is a tabletop RPG brought to the big screen you don't have to have played dungeons and dragons to enjoy it but if you know anything about it or have played it there's a lot in there for you to enjoy and understand and ref little nods and references there's these little creatures that look like brains that have was it i think it was four legs that they had and there's a really funny joke thing in there and the gelatinous cube and all the different races of people and creatures and the magic and the references you don't have to have played it to enjoy it i think it's a movie for everyone that everyone can enjoy but if you have played it it's really awesome i think to be able to see something come to life and be do well done or done well but those are just my thoughts as someone who has very limited experience with dungeons and dragons the again the most experience i have it was i want to say it's the call of cthulhu that I played with some friends of mine that turned out really fun. But Cthulhu mythology, of course, doesn't really have much overlap with Dungeons and Dragons mythology. But RP tabletop RPGs do have enough in common that I was able to get some of the stuff. And I know enough people who do play Dungeons and Dragons to understand a lot in it. So overall, I really like this movie, even with the stuff that, in my opinion, made it a bit of a thin plot line such as is Safina working for this other red wizard or is she doing it for herself and he's just kind of there to help lead her on, kind of mentor her. I didn't understand. Even with that relationship not being as clear as it could be, even with, in my opinion, the arena scene not being as well done as it could be and not killing, not that I want him to die. He seems like a good guy. He pardoned everyone and gave us a really great ending, but why was he not killed when you're okay killing everybody else? I, it just didn't make sense. The Lord of Neverwinter, especially if your plan was to take over the city. Even with those things, and probably a couple other just super small things that I can't even think of right now, I 
really enjoyed it. I did not feel as though it emasculated men at all. I do think it showed a softer side to men, especially Holga's ex-husband. But I thought it showed that opposites attract more than anything. I didn't think it was emasculating men. I thought it just showed that opposites attract because he was more of making the home and cooking and doing stuff while she was out and bringing home dinner from hunting and being, you know, the fighter. But she also had a very motherly nurturing side to her in raising Kira. And you see, you truly see that she cares for others and is protective. And she also has the means to protect herself. And she looks like she could protect herself. I also really enjoyed that of the movie. She looked like she could actually take on a lot of these fighters and she wasn't like this tiny skinny thing that had no muscles. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. If you're going to have someone who's really tiny, but they're a fighter in some way, they have to have some sort of magical advantage if they're going up against really big other fighters like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes, she was a super tiny person, but she had these magical abilities and strength that, well, mostly just the strength, superpowers basically to help her fight against these vampires and even especially humans when needed because vampires are more powerful than humans if you're gonna have someone who just can fight they don't have extra magical abilities or superpowers they need to look the part they need to look like they can take down who they're fighting and yes there are a couple moments that you know you have to be like oh they probably rolled a really high number on the tabletop game to be able to fight that person or these people because it's a little unbelievable, you still have fun with it, and she still looks like she could actually take on the stuntmen that she was fighting, and I really enjoyed that. I liked Chris Pine a lot, as I already said. Um, He didn't fight as much, and when he did, he wasn't as competent, but he never was a coward in that he stayed away from the fight. He, He jumped in when he could and did what he could, and I really enjoyed that. I give this movie like a 9 out of 10. Honestly, what do you think, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, if I were to give it a number, I'd say eight or nine. It was so entertaining. I wasn't expecting it to to be that way. I mean, when we got to the theaters, I was going in between that movie and the movie with uh, Adam, Driver. Adam Driver. I mean, come on, Adam Driver, right? So... I'm glad I that I ended up going with your choice, which was this movie. And um, I think, yeah, maybe we might find our way back into a movie theater soon to watch it again. Yes. And they do have a little message before the movie starts from the cast that I thought was sweet. Maybe taking a little bit of a leaf out of Tom Cruise's book because he had a message for people before Top Gun Maverick. But... I wasn't mad at it. I thought it was a sweet message. I thought it was nice. And I think it would be nice if almost every movie started with the cast thanking people for coming to see the movie. I just think that's a nice little personal nod or or touch to it. And I definitely recommend this movie. And I think that's it for now. Do you have any final thoughts at all you want to add? Anything that you liked or disliked about the movie? No, I think I've I've shared a lot of my favorite moments in the movie. Um, I think it definitely has a lot of elements to it. You know, it has the it has the sad, you know, it has a sad story to it of the, the death of the wife and it has action it has humor. It just, it's an all around good movie and it's not one. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, scary moments. Sure. But I thought it definitely brought back some, uh, good feelings that, you know, that the older Marvel movies, I think, shared with. And the newer ones just lack. So I thought it was really refreshing to have that come up again. You know, that kind of movie. Yes, as Taya and I have talked about before, we have been wanting just 
good movies for so long that when a good movie comes along, we cannot stop singing its praises because it feels as though the last few years, for some reason, has just been churning out movies that audiences aren't really connecting with and don't really like as much. And it is so refreshing to be able to go and just enjoy a movie and be entertained, even if it has stuff, missed opportunities and things like that going on for it. It was still really fun. I think this is a successful movie based off of a game. I think that the past couple decades have shown us that it is possible to take old TV shows or old or video games or tabletop games, anything like that. And it's possible to make a good movie based off of it as long as you have a good balance and keep all the elements of good storytelling in it. And I th thought that they did a really good job of that. So that is going to be the end of this episode. If you liked our thoughts or disagreed with them, go ahead and let us know on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or YouTube. Although we don't have any YouTube videos about the podcast, you can still comment on the YouTube video. We'll check it. And on Twitter, you can find us YLS underscore productions. Instagram and Facebook, we are Your Little Sisters Productions. And also Taya Joy Flake on Patreon. Again, we have two tiers with the little tree logo, the YouTube channel, and specifically our podcast, Missed Opportunities. Go ahead and check that out. It's only $5 a month to support us, and it really does make a difference and help us out. And if you become a patron, you get first priority response to comments as well as recommendations if you recommend something. I will say to keep in mind, if you're wanting to take your family to this movie, it is PG-13 for a reason. They do cuss a few times, mostly just the S word. I think the B word maybe once or twice as well. And there are some scary elements in it as well as action. Most of the scary elements, in my opinion anyway, are dark magic, but everyone is different. Check the parental guide if you have any questions or concerns, if it's a good fit for your family. But I definitely think that at a certain age and older, that it's fun for people couples to see for families again if you have older kids or if your kids are younger but able to handle that totally up to you i just always like to put that out there that even though we try to keep the podcast family friendly sometimes the movies that we watch or recommend are not family friendly for people under certain ages so just keep that in mind when going to the theaters but i thought it was fun so i'm gonna go ahead and sign off this is laura this is jonathan Bye.